We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Turn with me, please, to Mark 4, where Jared read to us. Mark 4, chapter, uh, verse 21. 421. It's good to see everyone here. I hope you've had a good week. I uh, look forward and pray for you for the next week that good things will be in your life. And uh, God is working a lot of great things in our church, and I'm very thankful for that. I want to talk to you about in this passage where Jesus is going to once again speak in parables. We talked about the fact that he chose to use simple stories to relay spiritual truths, very common ideas. Uh, but they were to give a very deep, sometimes, training for the disciples that followed him. We looked at last week, if you'll remember, that these parables are not where everyone can understand them. Even though he used simple words, the common language of the people, uh, the Bible teaches us that you have to have eyes to see, you have to have ears to hear. And the gospel actually is a mystery, it's locked until God unlocks that and lets a heart hear and perceive. Well, the same way tonight, he's going to teach a parable, and there's going to be a few stories here that we're going to try to lump them together and talk about how life happens. God formed Adam out of the ground, if you remember, and he fashioned him, and he made him a man, a human man. But the Bible says that until God did something, Adam wasn't alive. If we would have seen him, he would have looked like a man in the form, the body of a man. But the Bible says that God breathed into Adam, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. He wasn't alive, although he looked like a man. He was uh, in the form of a human. He wasn't alive until God did something that only God could do. He caused life to take place. The very ministry we just prayed for right there for Greg and uh, ministry to the Hispanic-speaking people in our, in our communities, it can only become life if something happens. Denton Bible, and we're blessed to have our family pastor back here. The only way Denton Bible could come alive all those years ago and be here today, bearing fruit today, is that God had to do something to cause life. And so I want to talk to you about the life principle. The life principle. That's a scientific term that scientists talk about. Let me give you just a few little illustrations or some facts. A secular definition of the life principle would be this. If you just looked it up in the dictionary or you looked it up online, the, uh, the definition of life principle is a hypothetical force to which the functions and qualities peculiar to, peculiar to living things are sometimes ascribed. In other words, how is something born and how does it grow? A hypothetical force that causes life to take place. Now, there's been a lot of debate in scientific uh, places and among those scientists about that. Science debates what they call spontaneous generation. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. And then they debate biogenesis. Genesis just simply means beginnings. And so what they are going to try to discover in a scientific secular way is where did we all come from? How did it all start? How does life continue to reproduce humans, plants, animals, 
creation, the spontaneous generation folks. Now, these are people that say that there's a production of life from a non-living matter. In other words, they try to say without any explanation and any answers that everything we see uh, is, is a result of life that started from a non-living entity. Now, doesn't that make sense? Life comes from not something that's not alive. Uh, they, they fail when they try to describe what they're talking about because they can't go back to the beginning. Now, the second group, the first group, spontaneous generation, that is uh, something made a chicken before the chicken made an egg, okay? Something made a chicken. They don't want to, but they say whatever made a chicken wasn't alive, okay? That's spontaneous generation. Spontaneous, instantaneous, something burst, banged, blew up and did something, and all of a sudden, here we've got a life. The second group, biogenesis, is generation of life from previous existing life. Now we talk about the egg comes from the chicken. We get an egg from a previous conditioned living entity. <coughs> Both of those, play, those uh, areas of debate and scientific study, spontaneous generation, boom, and now we've got life that goes on. Biogenesis, the study of life being continued, both of those fail to do something. It doesn't give us an answer of the original. It doesn't tell us anything about where it all started. Mankind from the beginning of time has tried to figure it out. Who's God? What's he like? How did, all, how did we get here? What, is, what are all the answers to life? What's it all about, Alfie? That's a long time before you guys, sorry. But science does not give us answers. They give theories. I don't know about you, but I read a book in seminary and it talked about science in the, in the Bible. And one of the things, I didn't really enjoy the book. So author, if you're listening tonight online, I'm thankful for all you listening. But if you're listening, I'm sorry I didn't like your book. But I did learn something uh, out of the book. Whenever we hear them say, this has been proved by the scientific theory. I used to think that if something was proven by the scientific theory, that means you started out with something we knew to be true. It was fact. And from that fact, you went to the next thing that we found out was true, another fact, and thereby proving it has to be true. That is not what the scientific theory means. The scientific theory starts out with a theory, a hypothesis, a what if. And so just because something is proven by scientific theory, all that means is somebody had an idea and we ran with it. So what in the world could I be talking about the life principle? Where did it all start? Where did it come from? What causes there to be life? when there wasn't life before. Jesus is going to show us here in Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. Look what the scripture says. And he was saying to them, the first section of this passage is going to talk about light, bringing light where it wasn't before. He was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket is it or under a bed? It's not brought to be put on the. Uh, is it not to be brought 
to be put on the lampstick. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in, in a lot of years, I have been blessed to be on the part of a lot of ministry starting. I've been blessed to be in the beginning of a church, and the beginning of a church can be a sweet, sweet time. And as long as everybody stays focused on God's word, prayerful, humble, uh, the startup of a new church is wonderful. It is a good, beautiful time. Everybody's working together. Everybody's ready to serve, roll up their sleeves and get busy. And as long as everybody stays humble and they stay focused on God's word, it can be a great church. What happens a lot of times is it grows very quickly. And as an Australian pastor friend of mine said, everybody starts out on their knees and then somebody stands up. And what he meant by that is somebody wants to be the leader. They take it upon themselves. They want an agenda. And instead of staying on their knees, prayerful, humble, serving, uh, a personality takes over. And a lot of times churches don't, uh, don't grow. So where's the life in a church? Where's the difference in a ministry, one that is fruitful and grows greatly and bears fruit, and one that just seems kind of fizzle? What's the difference in a Bible study or a, or a, a mentoring group or a, a, a small group that is vital and strong and there's people's lives that are changed and one that just meet together for a little while and they remember it as a sweet memory and rest of their lives. Jesus is talking about that in this passage. He used a simple illustration. He said, when you bring a lamp into a room, and these lamps were usually little small clay lamps that, that burned olive oil. I had a, a man in the church make me one out of some little um, uh, metal. I think it was brass. He made it and formed it just like what we think those were like, and I've got it at home. They're only a few inches high, and they were usually placed... They don't, they don't in themselves have a lot of light. But when you take one of these lamps and you put them on a candlestick or a, a lampstand, it can really lighten up a room. It doesn't take a lot of light to give light in a dark room. And what the Lord's saying here is we don't light a lamp and then go put something over it so the purpose of the lamp is not, not fulfilled. He is referring to, he said, you don't put it under a basket, you don't put it under a bed. A lot of times the bed there was the reclining type bed. That, that's the way a lot, uh, a lot of the people ate their meals. Uh, well, I've told you before, the, the picture of the Lord's Supper is really not uh, accurately, historically correct because a lot of times the Jewish people would recline, uh, lay down on, on their, their shoulder, their arm or something while they're eating. Uh, John lay next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. They weren't sitting at a long uh, uh, potluck table. <laughs> Here he says, a lamp is brought into the room. And what is the purpose for? A small amount of light put on a candlestick can cause much light to lighten the room. In all four of these different illustrations we'll look at here in a moment, we're going to see something start very, very small. And when its purpose is fulfilled, it grows and grows and grows and grows. And it becomes big and strong and vital. It becomes alive. 
So the first thing that he uses there is illustration of a, a, a light, a lamp. And he said there's two purposes of that lamp. One of it is to give light so everybody can see. And another purpose is to reveal the hidden things of darkness. Did you know that the Bible teaches us that there's not going to be one sin, one wrongdoing that's not going to be accounted for if it's not covered by the blood of Christ? Now you and I, if you're a believer here tonight, you don't have to go to the white throne, uh, great white throne judgment. Aren't you glad of that? Because that's where all the books are going to be open with all of our sin recorded and all of our idle words and all the things we've done wrong. If I didn't know Christ, there'd be a book for me, Mike Spencer. I want to read to you what you've done. And what is it going to be like on that day for those who reject Christ? They'll have to give an account for every sin they've ever committed. You and I are blessed to go before the judgment seat of Christ. And when God looks at us, he looks through the blood of Jesus at us and we're washed and we're clean and we're not guilty of those sins anymore. My goodness, what a great message we have to share with everyone. So the light brings light in the room and it reveals the hidden things of darkness. And Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now this is an, an imperative. It's a command. God said, I want you to do this with the light and I want you to hear if you have ears. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. He said, I want you to do that. This is a command. When we think about light in our life, if you probably remember uh, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They see something different about you and glorify your father, which is in heaven. They don't see your life and say, hey, I just got to know you because you're the greatest person alive. They see your life and they say, I got to know who your God is. So you and I as Christians are just like this light starts off very small, like a little lamp going into a dark room. Christ lights a light of life inside of us. And then that light, that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Christianity. Christianity started as a little small light in, relatively in the life of Jesus Christ. He shares the gospel. People believe in him. And Christianity begins to grow and grow and grow and give light to many more. Uh, Acts, Acts chapter 1 tells us that the disciples, the apostles, would be witnesses. First in Jerusalem, a restricted area. Then in Judea, Samaria, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world. What did it do? It started very, very small. And then it grew. It was multiplied. It was blessed to where much light was given. So I ask you a question again. Where's the life principle? What causes the light to bear its fruit? Uh, don't shy away from your witness. Did you know one of the greatest things you can do is share, share with people? You, I had a man tell me, much older than I, can I have lunch with you? Sure, I like eating. He said, I want to talk to you. I said, what would you like to talk about? He said, I don't have a testimony. And this is a, a man that has been a Christian for a long, long time. And I said, what do you mean you don't have a testimony? He said, you've encouraged us to share our faith with other people. And I said, well, uh, how old were you when you first were taken to church? And I started asking him questions. And he started telling me about how old he was. He had prayed and asked Christ in his heart. He had believed what God's word said. And pretty soon, for the next about 15 minutes, guess what he was doing? He was sharing his testimony with me. He had just never done it before. And when he got through, I said, you know what you've just done? You have shared your testimony. And it dawned on him, oh, that's what you're talking about. 
You don't need to share someone else's testimony. It's great to do that if you know what God's done in their life. But you, your testimony is more powerful than any sermon ever preached sometimes. The, pers- the, the work of Christ in your life is what somebody in your world needs to hear. So I want to encourage you. Who is it in your community, in your neighborhood, in, where you go to school with your kids, where you shop? Who is it in your world that needs to hear your story? I do that all the time. I walk up to people and I say, let me hear your story because I love to hear what Christ has done. But it starts out like a little light, a small lamp put on a candlestick, and then its purpose is fulfilled and it grows and becomes a much larger light. Small lights bring great light to the room. Look with me in verse 24 as we go a little bit further. He's going to use another illustration. The first one's the lamp, starts off very little, and I've talked to you before, can you come into a bright, bright room and bring a little bit of darkness in there? And can you see that dark? No. Can you come into a very, very dark room and bring a very small flicker of light? And can you see that light? You know why? Light's stronger than darkness. Light conquers darkness. It dispels darkness. So the church is a light. Jesus is the true light that's coming in the world. You and I as Christians are supposed to be lights. The kingdom of God is a light that has come into the world that people can hear about. It starts off as a little baby in Bethlehem. And then pretty soon that light shines all over the world. The second illustration he uses in verse 24. And he, Jesus, was saying to them, take care what you listen to. There's another imperative. Be careful what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured you and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Again, this is another imperative, another command. Be careful who you listen to and what standard you go by. Uh, Those that listen in truth, People that really, with a good, honest heart, listen to the Lord and His Word are going to be given more understanding. David wrote that in the Psalms a long time ago. Blessed are they that keep His commandments, for they shall have a good understanding. In seminary, they teach you, it is faith unto understanding. It's not understanding to faith. We don't come and say, man, if I can understand all the Bible, I'll believe it. Well, you'll never believe Because Jesus said, you've got to live by faith. You've got to believe it like a little child. Accept it. It is faith. I believe it because of who God is, the character of God. And if God said it, I believe it. Unto understanding. The light becomes stronger. The understanding becomes stronger. So here in the second part of this, he tells us there should be a standard. What standard you meet and you give out to other people, be careful because you'll be judged by the same one. And you know what the standard should be for all of us? It's God's word. It shouldn't be, well, what does Mike think about this? Or it's all right to have an opinion. I want to ask y'all for prayers and I get to announce it now. Our daughter Katie is engaged and we're looking forward to her getting married. Uh, we're excited about all those things. Her mom and, and Katie got to go dress shopping yesterday and I didn't get invited. Can y'all believe that? Now I was involved. They kept te- texting me and giving me pictures and, and I was involved later on when it came time to, to pay for it, but I wasn't invited to go pick it out. 
But it was a happy time for them, and I was so excited. And we look forward to that. That's our daughter. But for that marriage to be what God wants it to be, it has to have a standard. Now, she's a Spencer. She's going to be another name, last name soon, Lord willing. But the standard is not our name. It's not our family reputation. The standard is God's word. And with Colton, uh, our soon-to-be son-in-law came and asked me and told me he loved our daughter and if he could marry her. Um, it was a privilege for me to say, and if you're listening here tonight, Colton, I mean this with all my heart. We're excited for you and Katie, and it was a privilege. We already accept him as a member of the family. But I told him, I said, but she's my baby girl. And I've got a standard <laughs> that I want you to keep. I've got a few things I want to tell you because there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect my baby girl all the rest of my days. And he was such a fine young man and he listened to those things and he said, I commit to do those things the rest of my life. And, and I believe he meant that with all of his heart. But the real standard that we're all judged by is not me. It's not our family reputation. It's not our family name. The standard that we need to give to others is the Word of God, and that standard needs to be ours too. So I ask you again, what causes light to give light in the whole room? There has to be something to make that light have its purpose and do good. The life principle. In here, in our lives, when we have a standard, we, we uh, are faithful to God and we grow in Him. What causes our life to grow? It is holding fast to the one who gives us life, the one who breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a living being, the life principle, the only re the way that you and I can be alive as a human being, as a Christian spiritually, as a church body here tonight. Something have to, has to give us life. Let's look at the third one in verse 26. We've seen the light we have seen that you need to be careful how you hear. You've got to have a standard. And the third one here, he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. He goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately, that's number 18, by the way, in Mark, if you're marking them down, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God. He's talking about Christianity now and, and what God is going to bring about ultimately in his plan and purpose for the church and for Israel and for believers. So he says, the kingdom of God is like a little seed that a farmer puts in the soil and then goes to bed. Now, wait a minute. A farmer's the one that grows those crops, isn't he? Or isn't she? They, they do all that work and they prepare the ground and they put that seed in there and they make sure it's watered somehow and fertilized. And the farmer does that, doesn't he? No, he says here, the farmer puts the seed in the ground and goes home and goes to bed. Because there's something that that farmer cannot do. He cannot make that seed die and give itself to the soil and then come alive again and grow out of that ground. There has to have something take place in that seed, and it's what I'm referring to as the life principle here tonight. 
Uh, I've mentioned to you before, scientists can replicate the substances in seeds. They can put the same amount of phosphorus, the same amount of nitrogen, the same amount of makeup ingredients in a seed planted in the ground and nothing happens. You know why? Because it doesn't have the life principle in itself. Here, he's using an illustration. The kingdom of God's like planting a seed in the ground we, we realize in John chapter 12, Jesus said that seed actually dies. It gives its life to the soil. The soil with the nutrients and the moisture, the way God made it, causes a miraculous event to take place with that seed. It comes back to life. The plant begins to grow from the water, the moisture, and the nutrients. The sun hits that plant then. And remember your, your physical science? Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis takes place and the, the, the work of the sun with the moisture, the nutrients, caused this plant that was a tiny seed now to grow. But notice what it says. It happens without the farmer doing anything. The farmer put it in the ground and goes to bed. Something had to cause life. It's without a visible cause. It's without human agency. You don't wave a wand over there and say, uh, grow. Uh, if, you, if you plant some crops in your field, uh, do you just sit out there and wait for them and look, look at them? Are you trying to make them grow by talking to them? I've heard it's good to talk to plants. Is that right? Is it good? You plant, <laughs> plants grow? I'll tell you what kind of a plant person I am when I was uh, young in the pastorate before I got married. The church gave me a really nice old-looking crock, you know, like they used to have for a vase, and it had an ivy in it. And uh, I still have some of that ivy 40 years later in my office. But it had an ivy, a pretty green ivy. It had some pretty flowers in there. And I asked some of the ladies that brought it, I say, now look, I can kill anything. Tell me how to keep this alive. And they said, well, one thing you don't want to do is water it too much. And I thought, well, that's that's safe. <laughs> You know, because I probably will forget to water it. But they said, wait till it really starts looking like it needs water to water it. So I would go by that day after day, and it was pretty green ivy. It looked good. Those flowers looked good. And I'd walk by it. I'm not going to water it. And I'd walk by it a few more days, and I'd think, well, those, you know, it's, it's not quite as green as it was, but those flowers still look perfect, so I'm, I'm not going to water it. And I'd walk by a week or so later, and I thought, man, the ivy's not doing very well, but... Those flowers still look good, so I'm going to do what those ladies said, and I'm not going to water it. Pretty soon, that ivy was looking sad. And I remember, I'm so smart, I remember leaning down close to that one day and looking at those flowers. They were the prettiest artificial silk flowers you have ever seen. The ivy's over there saying, water me, please. Uh, and so I watered it, it came back to life, and I've still got some 40 years later. The Bible teaches us that there's something that happens to the seed when it's put in the ground. Farmer goes home and goes to sleep, and something happens. Life, the life principle that God put in the seed. He created it, and he has put the life principle of himself in that seed. Now, this parable is, is only written about in Mark. Mark has the same parables in the other Gospels a lot of times, but this is the only one. And I believe he's talking about the picture of how Christ comes into a heart, a small seed of Christ, and then all of a sudden it grows. 
multiplies and bears fruit. I believe he's talking about the church. The church started with Jesus himself and the gospel spread to those that would listen to him. And all of a sudden it grows just like the lamp in the beginning and now this seed. It grows to something much larger. Let me read these verses to you. Acts 17, 28. In him, God, we live and move and have our being. So when they're talking about spontaneous whatever and biogenesis and they're trying to figure out what caused life, we go back to the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And so we have... In him we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1.17. And in him all things hold together. Everything that's made, all of creation, is blessed and held together by Christ, by God. He is the life principle. Another verse, Philippians 1.6. What about in our life? He who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Just like the farmer puts the seed in the ground, goes home to sleep, wakes up the next day, and the seed is growing... God places the seed of Christ inside of our heart. We don't do anything to save ourselves. And the life principle of God himself causes that seed to sprout and to find good soil in our heart and it grows and we become a Christian and we grow in that, in that faith in Christ. Who caused the growth? God did. Where's the life principle? The same where it's been since the beginning. It's when God says, let there be life. Bless it. Look at number, uh, the next one, number four, verse 30. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. I have a little small mustard seed at home in a little uh, a glass thing that I can look at. It's very small. Jesus isn't saying here that it's the smallest of every seed of all kind, but it's the smallest of these kind of plants that he was referring to. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Right now, uh, you can go to some places in uh, uh, Israel. Uh, there's a monastery on top of Mount Tabor, and there's also near the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Uh, there are some uh, mustard seed bushes, plants there. They normally get between 10 to, at the most, 15 feet tall. But they start out as the tiny, tiny little seed. And then they grow to the biggest bush, not tree, but the biggest bush there is. All the birds come and live in it. So again, here's another example in this passage of something starting off very small. And it grows and grows and grows till all the birds can come live in it. Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's something that starts out very small and then it grows, becomes alive and multiplies and becomes a place. Many commentators talk about this as a picture of the church where all kinds of people would come and find shade in the mustard tree. It has the life principle. God caused it to become alive. Every one of these so far in this is something that God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. And then the last thing in verse 33, notice what he says. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them. So far as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Even the understanding of God's word, God has to bring life to that. 
I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I'd open up the New Testament and I'd read and I couldn't get enough of it. I'd turn to the Old Testament and it was like looking at another language. I couldn't understand one word of it. Even though I read the stories, you know, that you're taught in Sunday school, I still didn't know anything. It was like there was a lock on that. And I think he just wanted me over there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for a while and to, to learn about Jesus. But guys, the one who makes a difference in our life to where our life really changes is the one who has the life principle. The same one that makes the seed grow when the farmer's asleep. The farmer doesn't do it. God does. The same one that causes the standard in our, our life that we set. It's not our name or our reputation, who our family was. The standard's God's word. And he's the one that blesses belief in his word. The light that comes out that's very, very small, put on a candlestick, and it brings light to all that are in the room. Starts out very small, but the only way that can do that is there has to be something given to it that it doesn't have on its own, and that's the life principle of God. We've seen the growth of the gospel message, the work of God in the world. We've seen a lamp that provides light. We've seen a standard we hold for ourselves and are measured by. We see the miracle of a single seed put in the ground, and it grows to the, one of the largest bushes. And we've seen the reading and understanding of God's word. It starts out very small, and it grows in our life, and he teaches us more of his word. Jesus shows us and illuminates his word. He doesn't reveal new things. He just illuminates what he's already revealed in his Bible, and it's because of the life principle. You want to get real? Uh, we're about to have communion, and we remember in communion the death of Jesus until he comes again. The cross points both ways. We remember what Jesus went through on the cross, and we look forward to Jesus Christ coming again. But let me give you a practical example just where I am tonight. I've had the privilege of reading to you a few verses out of God's Word. They're precious to me. I love these verses. I could come up here tonight and I could say, I am going to give them three different definitions from Greek. I'm going to allude to the Hebrew. I'm going to give them illustrations like they have never heard before. And I am going to, I am going to just blow their socks off with, woe be unto me if I ever think like that when I handle God's Word. That's not what God's about. God's about looking at his word. And yes, we need to be true to the language. We need to be true to the history. We need to be true. We need to faithfully study God's word. But you know what I know for a fact? As much as I would want your life to be changed by what we looked at in the Bible tonight, there is nothing I can do to change your life. That seed put in the ground, the farmer can't do anything to make it grow. But God can. God can cause life. And that's what I've prayed for before I got here tonight. That we would all, starting with me, because I need it more than everyone, to be changed to be like Jesus. The life principle. That beautiful little baby back there, four months old. Four, four weeks old, excuse me, four weeks old. What a, what a miracle that is you're holding there in your arms. And thank you for being here. Bring those babies. Man, I love to see you. The life principle. God had to bless you to have that little child. He had to cause the miracle of birth. And that's what it's all about. You want to know a church that's alive and growing? It's God's chosen to bring life. 
You want to know a family that's doing well? God's chosen to give life. You want to know a ministry that's blessed? God has chosen to give his life principle to cause it to grow. So if we ever get to thinking we're doing something, just let's remind one another. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what I can do, nothing. But we've got a God who can do anything. The life principle. You know why we can rejoice and study about that tonight? Because there had to be a death. Before you and I could know the life of Jesus, just like a lamp that is turned on in our heart, in our mind, before we could know anything about the truth of God's word and have understanding, before we could be like a seed that starts to grow inside of our life and our life changes and all of a sudden we can do what we couldn't do before and we don't do what we used to do because we've got a new life. It's because there had to be a death first. All of us had a disease, a blood disease, and it was called sin. And God loved us, but he didn't go back on his word and, and say, well, I'm just going to forget what I said. The standard is the wages of sin is death, but I think everybody's sin, so I'm just going to undo that, and I'll look over that. He said, no, I'm going to keep my word. The wages of sin is death, but I love you so much that I'm going to come in the form of my son and he's going to pay the price for that. Is that not amazing? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He is that seed that gave his life to bear fruit supernaturally so you and I could live here tonight. He is the life principle. But the only way you and I can be alive is because there was a death. And his name is Jesus. So as the guys come forward to, to help us with communion and close our service... Does everybody have one of your communion cups? If you don't, raise your hand, and men are ready to come and bring them to you. While they're bringing them to you, I want to give you just a little housekeeping. Uh, there are, this is so you don't have to wash the shirt tomorrow that you're wearing. There's a little cellophane top on the top of this. If you'll bend this down all the way, you can grab this cellophane top, and you can pull it off to get your wafer, the bread. Then, when it comes time for the cup, you can bring the next one up. If you try to do it all at the same time, you'll have a cleaning bill. I promise you, because I have been there. <laughs> you want to be a light that shines in the world? You want to be a seed that grows up to be a great fruitful plant for the Lord? You want to be a faithful Christian that can't wait to tell others and God uses your life so that other people will come to know him? We got to have life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came that you might have life and you'd have it more abundantly. Young men and women, you are so valuable to the church. When I look out here and see you coming, I am, I'm, just, I'm just grateful, so grateful. I was blown away. Never let anybody tell you that you're not very valuable to the Lord's church wherever you're, you're sitting here tonight. You want a great life? Well, that doesn't mean you won't have some hard days, but if you want a great life, you'll ask God for exactly what Jesus said. I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. The only life to live is a, is a life in faithfulness and obedience to Christ. But remember, the only way we can have life in a ministry, in the church, 
in our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, and in our own soul is the life principle has to be there. God has to cause life to take place. Jesus was preparing his disciples the last week of his life as he heads into Jerusalem for the final time. And he had told them that I'm going to be delivered up to the chief priests and the rulers and I'm going to be crucified and killed. And the Bible says the disciples didn't understand that. They didn't understand what he was saying. And he taught them in his doctrine that Moses gave bread down from heaven, but it really wasn't Moses that gave that bread. God gave that bread. He said, you can eat of that bread and you'll die. But if you eat of the bread that I am, I am the bread which has come down from heaven. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. The disciples didn't understand what that meant until the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And he took bread personally and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he gave it to his disciples. The New Testament tells us before we partake of the bread and the cup to examine our own heart. So I'm going to ask you right now to bow with me in a few moments of silent prayer. And then I'm going to pray. Would you just do business with God? Would you examine your own heart to make sure there's nothing there that would keep you from partaking of this Lord's Supper with an honest heart before God? That's all he wants. He wants honesty and faithfulness, repentance. Would you talk to him? Let's pray. Jesus had taught them in his doctrine that he was going to give his life for them. And fathers, we're bowed before you here tonight. We know he did that very thing. As he prayed in the garden, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from him. But if the only way it'll pass is I drink it, not my will, but yours be done. Father, we thank you for giving your son, Jesus, who gave his life who bore our sins on the cross and on his own body. Lord, would you prepare my heart? If there's anything in my heart that I would bring to this table in an unworthy manner, forgive. Cleanse me. And Lord, bless now this cup and this bread. We ask it in Jesus' name.